Selling concessions at a baseball game might not be as glamorous as it sounds. And I know it doesn't sound very glamorous at all. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Last week on Good Story, I shared about my working experience at a concession stand during our local professional baseball games. This week, I want to continue on that theme and share just two more stories and two more lessons from that summer. After I'd been working for a while, I started to feel kind of like an old hand. I was able to talk with the workers using the correct concessions jargon and all. And one game day, I arrived at the field ready for work. I had once again volunteered for ice cream, but for whatever reason, once again, my boss decided to put me at the register instead. I'd arrived on time. I had my uniform on. I wasn't chewing gum during the pep talk nor during the presentation of our job assignments, but nonetheless, I was told that I would not be working ice cream that night. And can I just say here that I was actually really good at serving ice cream. I loved it. I knew what I was doing there. I was speedy, I was successful. I didn't get frazzled when the big rush came. And I found it super rewarding giving kids and, and actually grownups Sundays in helmets and said, hey, you can take it home. It's just like a souvenir. But no, anyway. No ice cream for me. I was working at the register. Before we got divided up that night, we were told a few things of pretty great importance. From the first comment, all the others flowed. Our boss led with this. Sometime tonight, the inspectors will be visiting our stand. She seemed a little nervous. I think she didn't really want her reputation and her, her job security to be resting in our incompetent hands. She continued, when the inspectors arrive, I'd like you to act normal, do your jobs, and be pleasant. However, in preparation for this, I need to tell you a few things. There are some things we need to do that we haven't been doing, and a few things we need to stop doing that for us have become routine. Listen up. And we did. She gave instructions to the grillers and the register workers, the runners and the ice cream makers, all of us. And as she finished her instructions, she said, oh, yeah. And one more thing. When it's time for your half hour break, be sure you go down to the designated break room when you take it. I was like, wait, what? Half an hour? I thought we had 15 minutes. I raised my hand to be sure I understood correctly so I wouldn't get in trouble. Half of that happened. I had understood correctly, but I still got in trouble. She answered me, you knew it was a half hour. Actually, I said, I really thought it was 15 minutes. I looked around at my coworkers, see if anyone would support me. Finally, a high school guy spoke up. Yeah, for sure. It's always been 15 minutes. Our boss said, well, we figured if we said 15, you'd probably take closer to half an hour anyway. Well, so we definitely would not have done that. I wouldn't have. I was scared. But whatever. Someone else raised their hand and asked where the designated break room was. I actually had wondered this, too. But by this time, I was a little too afraid to ask. We were told about a room on a certain level of the stadium that's accessed through an elevator in our hall. A room that, up until this day, weeks after we'd started our jobs, had remained a secret. When it was time for me to take my break that day, I decided to go with a co-worker. 
Mostly I was afraid I wouldn't find the room, and if by chance I did, I was kind of afraid I'd have a hard time finding my way back, and I didn't want to be a second later than my half-hour allotment. We went down the hall at break time, got an elevator, went down another hall, and opened the door to Wonderland. I stomped when I walked in and looked around. I saw water set up for us. I heard people talking and laughing, and I felt so comfortable. Not just because the people were so nice, but also because, oh my goodness, it had air conditioning. I saw other workers sitting around real tables, sitting on real chairs. And if that wasn't enough, I followed the gaze of those sitting on these chairs around these tables and looked up at a TV with the game being broadcasted on it in real time. People were cheering. They were happy and relaxed. It was almost as though they were enjoying their break. And, oh, man, for a half hour that day, I almost liked my job. I actually that day also felt a little bit sorry for my boss. I knew she was nervous. I knew she was nervous not only about the inspector coming, but I knew she was nervous that she had opened up this idea that there was a break room and that we would probably be using it from now on. And I thought she's probably worried we will never come back to work on time. As I said earlier, I think she didn't want her reputation and the success of her job to be in jeopardy because of us, her workers, many of whom were a bit incompetent or unskilled. So why on earth, I have to ask, would God by choice do the same thing? Why would God leave his reputation in our hands? Why would God leave his work on earth for us to do in our somewhat incompetent and unskilled hands? What is God's work that we should be doing? Well, I think the best way to find out is to look at scripture and see what he told us we should do and look at the work he had already started. Luke 19 tells us exactly why Jesus came. It tells us exactly what he was doing. In Luke 19, 1 to 10, we read a familiar story which culminates in a very familiar verse. It starts like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. Jesus is going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I will pay them back four times as much. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He was passing through. He was passing through Jericho, but on a mission. His mission this day to meet, greet, and eat with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was on, in Jericho on mission too, right? He wanted to see who Jesus was. He climbed a tree to do so. He didn't worry about if it looked undignified. and. When he met up with Jesus face to face, he not only saw who Jesus was, he saw who he was too. 
He didn't need the people to tell him he was a sinful man. In fact, seriously, what is up with them? What is up with them? Why are people eager to point out everybody else's sins? Are we not all sinful people? Are we not all undeserving of God's grace and attention? But here, Zacchaeus, as he stood there and realized the Lord had called him by name, had reached out to him, he revealed, Zacchaeus revealed his heart change. He said he would not only care for the needs of the poor, which you will look at in a minute just to see how that's Jesus' heart too. He said he would also make right his wrongs. He knew he'd been guilty of extortion, and he knew more now that he wanted to make that right. Four times. He wanted to return the money four times. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was found and saved. That's work Jesus came to do. What else would he want for his workers to continue? We read in Luke 4, 16 to 22, the following story. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. What is Jesus doing? He has announced to the people that the Spirit of the Lord is on him. He announces that he has been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He was sent to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed. And we, as Christians, bearing his name, literally little Christ, can continue his work. Jesus proclaimed a release for the captive and light and sight on a spiritual level to those who didn't understand the mystery of the gospel and salvation. We, who now know the truth, are called as well to proclaim the salvation and to, through the Spirit of the Lord, preach good news to the poor. We are also called to care for the poor. Preach and care. We are called to care for those in need however we can. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says that we must speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Later on in Luke 12, we read that we are to give to the poor. We're to store up our treasures in heaven instead of storing them up on earth. Because Jesus knew that where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to follow. And if we're about accumulating for ourselves... Our heart, our focus, our decisions, our energies, all will be spent on ourselves and whatever it is we're accumulating. If instead, though, our actions and what we treasure is actually used to meet the needs of others, that's where our heart will be. And might I suggest that that place where our heart is will be aligned with the heart of God when we are looking to the interests of others. In 1 Timothy 6.18, Paul tells Timothy to tell the people at his church to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Who are they sharing with? It does not take a theologian to figure out whoever they're sharing with is somebody who's in need. So how can we do it? How can we be generous? Maybe we will give of our finances. Maybe we'll give of our time or talents or energy. Maybe we will pray. Maybe we will take time to learn about someone else's plight. 
Maybe we will look around and ask God how he might want to use us to make someone else's life better and to meet someone else's need. As we bear the name Christian, God's reputation is on the line. We want to represent him well. We want to be faithful to what he has entrusted to us. We want to extend grace and live in the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow the lead of our Heavenly Father, knowing we are able to do so because of the sacrifice of Jesus the Son. What a great calling. We do not want to settle for less than this when more is available to us, which brings me to my final story from the concession stand. Apparently, while I was away on my 28-minute break, our boss decided that we needed to boost hot dog sales. I think that she thought that today, when the inspectors might be coming by, it would be great to show the hustle and bustle of a busy stand, a stand complete with hot dogs flying off the grills and freshly braked workers. In order for this to happen, she told us that while we were on the register and not waiting on a customer, we should each yell out, Dinger dogs here! Get your dinger dogs here! And she was serious about this. In case you're wondering right now, yes, this is legitimately actually what the hot dogs were called. In writing this podcast, I thought, I maybe have remembered this name incorrectly. I need to fact check this, which I did with my friend, and yep, she confirmed they were dinger dogs. If you look up dinger in a dictionary, you'll find that one of the definitions is a home run in baseball. And so that's where the people sitting around the table on the committee thought, hey, that's a good idea. Let's name them dinger dogs. No surprise here, though. There is another online site that says the dinger dog is, in fact, the worst named food at a ballpark. That didn't stop our boss, though. She walked behind us and said, come on, guys, let's push the dinger dogs tonight, team. Come on, I want to hear it. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't get myself to yell, get your dinger dogs here. I tried. I tried three times. The first time, I laughed. The second time, I laughed again. And the third time, in my attempt to sound more serious, I just came off mocky and kind of sarcastic. Dinger dogs here. My lack of commitment to the sales pitch didn't seem to stop the sales, though. And people kept coming up and ordering them for themselves and friends and family members. One woman came and ordered hers. She looked at it and said, oh, at that price, I was expecting something smaller. I'm not sure I want this. I said, wait, what? So it is bigger than you thought. Yep. And it's cheaper than you thought. Yes, I was looking for something smaller at that price. Maybe I'll just look at another stand. I told her, or you could pay for ours, break off a chunk of it, and just eat the rest. Hmm. She said, yeah, maybe I'll do that. Okay, sure. Feel free to get less than you paid for. Work with me just a little bit here. If hot dogs were good for us, this would be a perfect illustration. Or if blessings could be purchased, it would also be perfect. Knowing that neither of those things are true, however, I'd still like to take a moment to share with you what I thought as I drove home later that day. I started out thinking, who on earth wants less than what they could have? What a waste. And then I thought, I'm probably doing something. What would that be? When do I settle for less than what I could have? And if we look at this in relation to what we've just been learning about God's heart for people, the tasks he has for us, we could say, huh, we know in our reading of scripture, we see what God's heart is, and we think we should be doing things for others, helping the poor, sharing the gospel, but we've grown content with not really doing either thing sometimes. We are happy with less than that. 
We're happy to stay in our comfortable circle with our friends and our Bible studies and our busyness and our excuses. We've grown to expect this in our Christian walk. And while we know there is more for us, if we truly want to carry out God's kingdom work on earth, and if we know there is a need for our generosity and our kindness, we just might not be looking for it. And instead, we might find ourselves throwing that chunk away and being content with what we've saved for ourselves. Or let's say, if we look at this in relation to what we've been learning about God's heart for people, we could say, we know in our reading of scripture that there's good news that can bring freedom and peace and salvation that others need to hear. However, if we've come to expect to let others maybe do that, or just not do it myself because I don't want to be that guy, we might be content with being kind and nice and thoughtful. But in doing this, we might break off a chunk of what's really necessary. People might be impressed with us or think we're great and kind and nice and sincere, but they might not realize it really isn't us. Instead, it is God at work in us because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we might rob God of the glory he deserves, and we might rob others of the opportunity to experience the same joy in salvation that we have come to know. We don't want to settle for less. I need to stop and ask God to reveal to me areas where I have, where I've settled for less, where I've taken a chunk off and I haven't done the full of God's ask of me. I need to ask him to empower me to do more. I need to ask God to help me to both live and preach the gospel. Please, Lord, please don't let me be content with less of you and doing less of what you've called me to. Instead, Lord, increase my faith, increase my obedience. Thank you that it is you, God, who is at work within me, within us, both to will and to do, to act according to your good purpose. Lord, may we represent you well, and may we represent you fully. Amen. Amen.